Pod Doctors is brought to you by the Kindle book, Saving Limbs, Saving Lives, Advanced Treatments to Prevent Amputations in Diabetic Populations. This book by Dr. Damien Dauphiné discusses specific patient cases in diabetic limb preservation, which highlight the modern use of wound care technology that has exploded in the last 20 years. With only one advanced therapy available in 1999, there are now hundreds of options to help close chronic wounds in diabetic patients. Dr. Dauphiné distills these options down to show patients and physicians treating these patients how combinations of these products can be used to save limbs and save lives. Welcome to The Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphiné, board-certified foot and ankle surgeon, and my partner, Dr. Rafa Hussein, fellowship-trained podiatric surgeon, and we are The Pod Doctors. Each week, The Pod Doctors will be discussing aspects of podiatric medicine and surgery to educate our audience on common foot and ankle problems and the latest treatment options available. We hope to bring you interesting and informative shows each week discussing all the crazy ways that our wonderful foot can malfunction and cause us problems. So please find us on all the platforms where you find your typical podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and YouTube where you can view our videos. So please like and subscribe, and we will see you next time on The Pod Doctors. Welcome to The Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphiné, and I'm here with my partner, Dr. Rafi Hussein. And we're going to talk today Freiburg's disease, also known as Freiburg's infraction. Yeah. Not Freiburg's infarction. Yeah, yeah. That's commonly commonly missed. Um, but a very common source of forefoot pain. Uh, ah, very common. Um, fairly common source of forefoot pain. Do you have any yeah. stats on that coming up? Oh, I don't have any, any stats, stats on that. On that? I should have. We may have to look that up, add yeah. that in for a, a future tidbit on it. But essentially, the most common met head, metatarsal head to undergo avascular necrosis is the second for sure. Yeah. And this can happen in the joints, other joints. I mean, Bo Jackson had that happen to the, the femoral head yeah. that destroyed his joint. So uh, let's talk a little bit about, about Freiburg's disease. All right. Well, let's talk about what happens clinically. Patient comes in talking about pain in their forefoot, uh, almost feels like uh, like they're walking on something or stiff. Sometimes they'll say it almost feels like they're walking on a ball mm -hmm. uh, or um, like a rock or a pebble. And Very it could be achy. stabbing kind of yeah. like every time they put their foot down pain. But, but you can localize it to the joint rather than the inner space. And so yeah. that's usually, we try to do that first to make sure it's not a nerve entrapment issue, yeah. that it's, it's either capsulitis slash something else and the x-rays are typically going to tell you yeah. if it's the something else yeah, exactly we'll go through our clinicals we'll do our you know our range of motion exams we'll check for plantar plate tears that's another thing right. that i commonly look for mm -hmm. your little lackman's test where we you know we take our toes and we we, we see if you try can to, dislocate yeah, it see if you can dislocate those toes um you know, check for neuromas very very easy to mix up with neuromas because very i mean that that space is very Close to one another. Yeah, and, and you can have overlap. You can have both. Yeah. I mean, you can have enough inflammation there or enough bony overgrowth there that now you've got a nerve entrapment happening at the same time. Yeah. So it's it's uh, not impossible to see both. So when do we typically see Freiburg's? 
Freiburg's was initially diagnosed most commonly in ballet dancers. Sure. So classically, you'll see them in young adults, young teens. Classically, the second minute tarsal head. I want to say roughly it was like ninety percent was oh, like second minute tarsal. Yeah, it was like it's, crazy it's a high. huge number. Yeah. And then your your bone scan there in the middle is yeah. that that would be lighting up like a Christmas tree for that second. But now we see them in older people, more active, more young adults were you know trying to get their life back together, walking more, improper shoe gear, people who've had surgeries in the past. Now they're distributing their weight differently. You're pretty much putting overload of stress on that second metatarsal head. I think people with hypermobile first rays, yeah. where the where the first metatarsal is getting pushed up out of the way, you're overloading the second. Very common biomechanical problem that we see. Yeah. So what do we do? We get our imaging. So what we're looking on the imaging aspect is that flattening of that metatarsal head. I mean, yep. look at that. that Classic. Means, that's completely collapsed. It's like the most extensive form of osteoarthritis you can imagine. Yeah. yeah. You see, you can see early signs. You can see further along. So this is kind of early right here. You can kind that's, of see that, but you do see that dip there. Mm -hmm. So it hasn't completely collapsed, but it's been wearing away. Yeah. Yeah. Eroding underneath there yep. pretty much. So young teenager, normal health, second metatarsal head, and then the flattening of the second metatarsal head. So classification. Classification is the smiley classification, and it pretty much just tells us how far along it's gone. Typically, we'll catch them you know, around three or four mm -hmm. uh, when they start becoming really painful. You might see them as a secondary uh, you know, finding on an x-ray when we're looking at you know, bunions or, or, or something similar, and we're getting x-rays, we're like, oh, look, you got early you know, uh, problems going on here with the second metatarsal head. Well, let's try conservative therapy. Hopefully, take some of that pressure off, catch it early, and it gets better. But as you can see, the erosive changes. I mean, what we were seeing in that previous picture, uh, where is that? Yeah, you can see that kind of eaten away pattern. Yeah, you got an er erosion right in the middle. Yeah. <clears throat> Sometimes we catch them really late, and yeah. there's no more motion, and they don't have any pain. So it's yeah. usually these people in the middle. Yeah, it's true. When they get really arthritic, yeah. you're pretty much uh, it's anatomically fusing it. You know? right. um, so those folks, sometimes remarkably, you look at their x-rays and you think, my gosh, that's got to hurt. And yeah, that they hurt don't you? have any pain at all. It's completely <laughs> coincidental finding. So, But it doesn't mean people will get to that point where they're pain-free. Yeah. Most people, once this joint goes, they're painful until you do something about yeah. it. Yeah. So sometimes we'll get an MRI. Uh, if we're not you know, 100% certain, we kind of see some features on the x-ray, but it's not exact. We'll get some MRIs and uh, or bone scans, mm -hmm. and we'll see what's going on. The MRI is classic because you can see the hypo-intense bone. I mean, it's literally loss of all that fat that's in there, mm -hmm. filling up with that uh, inflammatory that water. And so when we get our T2 imaging, you can see that it's hyper-intense. And I think this is fat suppressed and everything. Yeah. And you can see the wearing away here. So that's going to light up like a Christmas tree on an MRI. Yeah, you yep. can see the lateral here completely, completely flattened. Yeah, that, that looks terrible. So what happens? What's causing this problem? So most classically, it's a combination of things. The base problem is vascular. It's avascular necrosis of that second metatarsal head or whatever metatarsal it affects. The perfusion to that bone is great up until that metatarsal head. And that's the only downside is that there's very small blood flow coming to that metatarsal head. Yeah, you, you wipe out that nutrient artery and the whole head of the bone's gonna... Yeah, and it doesn't have to be something traumatic. Out. It could be something genetic. It could mm -hmm. be, you know, it, it was weak to begin with, that trauma from, you know, ballet dancing or interpretive dancing or young athletes, you know, soccer players, you know, mm -hmm. and that, that constant trauma to that metatarsal head, it collapses that artery, 
and now you have poor perfusion to that head and that trauma constantly breaks down that joint. And you can have a series of fractures or, or a fracture that lacerates that, yeah. that arterial flow and then you just don't get it to recover. Yeah. So conservative therapy. Conservative therapy for this is fairly limited. Pretty much what we're trying to do is take some of the stressors away. So the stressors include obviously that trauma to that. So rest, ice, elevate, obviously. And then what we can do or recommend is a good set of shoes and orthotics. Orthotics, typically what I do is like a met pad with a reverse Morton's extension. I don't know. What's your go-to? Uh, yeah, I think, those, I think those can be helpful. Just limiting motion at that joint. Anything yeah. you can do to limit motion at that joint. A These, stiffer shoe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you see people coming in and flats, I, I hate to say sketchers, but the, you know any shoe that you can fold in half. That's going to probably cause more more trouble. And the hokas are real stiff. You know, a lot of the higher end running shoes are going to be better for you than than yeah. something that's real flexible. It's not to say that Skechers are bad. I mean, that's not what we're saying. But there's a big push on flexible shoe gear right now, where these like they slip on type shoes, and you and they show in the commercials where you can bend and fold them and stuff mm -hmm. them into your pocket. Horrible for your feet. You know, I think they're just going to lead to more nagging injuries than anything yeah. else. Yeah. For the vast majority of folks, they're going to be. So simple things we can do to hopefully alleviate some of that pain. Injections. Although steroids are questionable for these type of problems because avascular necrosis, is it going to hinder the healing potential? Yes, on the short term. But what it's going to do, it's going to alleviate quite a bit of that pain and take some of the inflammation and allow you to kind of rest and get better. This is one problem that I haven't had an opportunity to use uh, stem cell injections for. Yeah. But, you know, you wonder if that would be another option. We just don't see it often enough to have that come up as a routine option. But, yeah. you know, Plus I know insurances. I've to folks, insurances don't cover the, the injections for the most part. I think we could use fluid flow in our Medicare population possibly for that because it's a arthritic condition. Yeah. But I haven't had the opportunity to do that yet. So uh, that would be something interesting we might uh, consider if you catch it at the right spot. But, I mean, if you're catching it late. Yeah. You're not going to reverse too much. No. It's not going to bring Lazarus back from the dead there. <laughs> and then, like, the last thing, conservative therapy. Uh, take them off of it. Lock it up. Yep. Um, either in a walking boot, surgical shoe, knee scooter, crutches, etc. Take the stressor away from it. Let it kind of heal. Treat it like a stress fracture, you know? Absolutely. Because um, if you don't, you're going to drive it. Yeah. You're going to drive the process further. Yeah. Okay. So, Absolutely. surgical treatment. Classically, the least invasive option for surgery is microdrilling or now nano drilling. I mean, there's a bunch of different ways. What we're pretty much doing is going in to the, the bone surface, the collapsed cartilage and bone, and putting tiny little drill holes down to the area of perfusion where that healthy blood flow still relies. And we're trying to get that to heal up. <laughs> you like my little nail drill there? A tiny little drill. Yeah. That's brilliant. So this... Picture kind of shows the that's using not K what we wires. use in the OR, by the way. <laughs> just uh, in case you were wondering, this one shows K wires, and now like the newer versions where the the wires are much thinner. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of different options out there, but it's like the same thing you do for you know taluses or you know for an osteoarthritically yeah or yeah. osteochondral defect. Yeah. Going in, we're right. pretty much putting these little micro fractures in there to get that healthy blood flow back to that surface. Get that cartilage. It's not going to be hyaline cartilage. It's going to be fibrous cartilage, but Whatever it is, as long as it heals up, that's the important part and it's comfortable. But very simple, very non-invasive. And this is for those early stages. When it gets further along, there's you know a lot more aggressive things you can be doing. Osteochondral transfers. I know that you do those for 
Uh, Taylor says, have you ever done these for second med heads? No. Yeah, I saw a couple articles. I thought it was I, interesting. I think you I think you could theoretically do it, but... I think there's better options. Yeah, I, I think, the, you know, I fall back on the Hemis. The Hemis work so well for this. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. So you see them in taluses. We do them and we do them in knees. We do them in, you know, hips. Because we don't have Hemis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, a friend Is of it? mine was, I think, contemplating... I mean, up with one for that, but yeah. The, I could see that work. Uh, I, I told you I have that, that total tailless patient that yeah. I did, the full metallic tailless. Beautiful. She's doing so great. Yeah. Um, with, I think with all the 3D printing yeah. technology we have access to now, it so, might be an option. Yeah. I mean, so this is a good option if you want to go very anatomic, biologic, I guess you want to say, not anatomic. If you want to go, you know, replace it cartilage to cartilage, great. Typically, you can harvest it from the articular surface of your femur, the knee, or commonly if we're doing it down in the foot and you're trying to get it yourself. I've seen people get it from the talus in a couple of articles. Yeah, you're taking it from a non-weight-bearing yeah. articular portion of the joint, so you're not going to miss it. I can see the logic, but it's not something I've done personally, so I can't tell you the pros and cons of it. Oh, this was interesting. This is a patient on one surface, they did the microdrilling, and on mm -hmm. the other surface, they did the implant. So this is the osteochondral transfer on the transfer nice. side, and this is the microdrilling side. And you can see that they did great on both sides. Virtually indistinguishable. Yeah. yeah. It, when when I've seen some studies where they've looked at this and they've, you're making me hungry with these transplanting uh, <laughs> candies, my favorite candies too. They looked at what type of cartilage you're ending up with at the end, mm -hmm. whether you do one version or the other, and it all seems to be fiber cartilage yeah. at the end. So your body heals cartilage. Yeah. It's just scar tissue cartilage. Cartilage is so avascular. So the best we can get is that fibro cartilage. Right. I mean- Maybe in young children, we can get the Highland cartilage stuff back, but for you and I, yeah. it's going to be fibrous. But here's that same patient. This is the right side. This is the articular surface, and this is the microdrilling. Yeah, it looks great. awesome. This one, yeah. I mean, has a little bit of a bump to it, but as long as the patient's comfortable, uh, you can look at x-rays all you want, but the results supposedly were indistinguishable. Yeah, you're, you're treating the patient, not the MRI. Yeah. Another common procedure, this is something I do do, a wild osteotomy. If it's early on, what we're doing is taking the stressor away. We're going in, we're shortening that bone and decompressing it. We're taking that stress off of it. It's argued that that first metatarsal will take up to 40, 50, 60% of the weight. And then the lesser metatarsals will distribute that force evenly. Second metatarsal being another high spot. So if we decompress that joint, hopefully we can take some of that stressor away. And again, that's a good point that the long second ray or the long second metatarsal puts that bone at greater risk or places more load on that bone in this case right here it wasn't great. necessarily too long but i bet you this is hypermobile hyper yeah. yeah you can kind of see it. it's kind of yeah and we see that a lot so the crux of the problem is that the first ray is moving too much the ground reactive force is pushing it out of the way and you're overloading the second and eventually the second can go through a vascular necrosis and end up with uh Freiburg's. yeah i think this if i remember correctly it was like 16 years out or something like that i mean that wow. looks great yeah know? that's tremendous modified walls, different ways to decompress. Instead of sliding it back, if you're worried about shortening it too much, you're decompressing it by shifting it up slightly. Same logic, works great. Theoretically kind of pulling the cartilage up, up and around the end of the bone. Yeah, you're too. taking that healthy cartilage and bringing it up, right. exactly. Easier said than done. I have done a few of those. Yeah, I think that, that bone cut's really hard to do. Yeah, <laughs> I had to I definitely need to point that out. I have done those and they are very difficult. I mean, you're literally taking, I mean, a sliver. It's, uh, I mean, it, there's a lot of fiddle factor. Yeah, they, I mean, was, 
this is a very, this is my, my finger. That's how small that bone is. If we're, we're taking a wedge of that bone away, I mean, that's- It's tiny. Yeah, it's yep. a tiny cut. But if it can be done and it's done well, it works great. DeVry's arthroplasty, pretty much you're one step above a head resection. You know, you're going in, you're resurfacing that joint, not commonly done like this specifically, but some people do the interpositional. Yeah, right, threw that in there. I was going to say we're, we're either putting some sort of amniotic tissue yeah. or I think this is like umbilical cord or something yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. And I've done those, and yeah. those those have worked out reasonably well. Yeah, I do them for my like Kellers. You know, they work beautifully. Yeah, I think those are great for Kellers, which is the the gray toe joint. I think the problem in the past with the hemi implants has been that some insurances weren't paying for the hemi if it wasn't the gray toe joint, which is stupid. Oh. But we ran into that for several years where we couldn't get certain insurance companies to pay for the lesser metatarsal hemis. And it's like, do you want me to show you the x-ray? <laughs> it's like, yeah, like, I know, it's just dumb. <laughs> it's just dumb. But that was what we had to deal with. And so we ended up doing more interpositional arthroplasties in those patients. But I think they worked out reasonably well. Yeah. I don't have any long-term studies to prove that, but I think they worked out reasonably well. But I think the long-term solution would have been a hemi, which... Yeah, I got okay. that. Hold on. There we go. So Cartiva. So Cartiva is another cartilage modifier, whatever you want to call it. It's made out of the same material that they make contact lenses out of. This picture is actually the big toe. It's not the lesser toes, but Cartiva just recently started using them on lesser med heads. So mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting. I've never done it on lesser med heads. I don't think that's my forte. Cartivas are good for specific problems, but yeah. here was a lesser med head. You can kind of see that square kind of out of there. Works great in the right hands. I'm looking at this from a cost benefit analysis, and I think it fits in a private insurance patient where that's going to get reimbursed. It's probably more reasonable. The Hemis are relatively cheap. Yeah. And so in the Medicare population, you know, the hospital's not going to take it on the chin, and it works great. So that would, I would want to know, I'd want to do a direct cost analysis before yeah. I would jump into using that for a Medicare patient. But so here are the Hemis joint replacements. There's multiple different options. Most of the time, I'd say 90 plus percent of the time, whenever I have a Freiburg's, I'll do a Hemi. That that particular these Hemi, these are huge. Those are massive. Yeah, and I, that, there's like almost no bone left. So yeah. I these yeah. are huge. I was looking for good pictures. There were some good pictures, but they had like other procedures done in conjunction with yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to get them solely for the Hemis. But that looks like the Hemi that we're using for the gray toe joint. Yeah. So I think that patient is probably doing really well right now. This like one? having the implant, doing the hemi implant at the base of the proximal phalanx, and then the second, they're probably doing great. Yeah. Most of these implants are so much smaller. The stems are super narrow now, yeah. and they take up less bone space because you want that bone ingrowth to hold that implant in place. And depending on how much damage it is, you might do the head or you might do the proximal phalanx. I think I've primarily only done the head. I've only done the base. Only done the, the base of the phalanx? Yes. Oh, we're different on that. I like the base. Yeah. I like the base. Just like I like the Hemi base for the great toe joint. Yeah, I do like it for the great toe. My, the way I explain it to patients is it doesn't matter what this gnarled, ugly metatarsal head looks like. I'm going to yeah. remodel it. Yeah. And if it's rocking back and forth in a metallic base and there's no friction, that you're not going to have pain. Wow. So it's true. I can true. I can slam one of those Hemis in there in about 20 minutes and they work great. And I don't have to do all that dissection. Now, do you ever use these elastic ones or the no, silicone ones? Oh, no, God, no. Yeah, they used to be. They were the, very popular. Yeah, they used to be the go-to yeah. for any type of. I did my of training in the 90s when people were, you know, the 80s and 90s when people were, were slamming those in everybody. And yeah. I think we probably destroyed a ton of joints we didn't need to destroy. 
and I think the breakdown that silicone it spits out so much debris it can and I think you know they added the grommets so that the grommets are those metallic plates on either end to protect the silicone from being degraded by the bone yeah, and the, the bone friction surface. and that helped I'm sure but I just was never a big fan never a big fan we took way more of those out than we ever put in when I was a resident and I just grew to uh, d- dislike them I think the metallic hemis worked really oh, yeah. really well and you got the same effect which was pain relief that's yeah. what we're shooting purpose for. is pain relief yeah. range of motion and pain relief yeah Last option is your fusions, your orthodesis. Very uncommon, but it is an option. Right. There's different plates and fixation methods. Some people do crossing screws or plates, staples, etc. You can do whatever you'd like. They all work great. What we're trying to do is pretty much lock up that joint. If you don't have a joint, it's not going to cause you pain. You can't right. have joint pain if you don't have a joint. I mean, it's very simple logic. The trick with it is making sure that it's anatomic and yeah. functional. I think an isolated metatarsal phalangeal joint fusion where the rest of the metatarsal phalangeal joints are working. Yeah. I would expect that patients are probably going to have more trouble with those. Yeah. And you wonder in your picture, your B picture of yeah. the arthrodesis. Oh yeah. I that, think about that, that huge one. Exostosis that's poking out there. I wonder if that's causing problems. Yeah. So yeah, I'm curious. I would love to know, you know, how that patient's doing now. This one, I usually. bet you this one has That, that no one's complaints. probably doing great because they've fused both. And I yeah. think that makes sense. You've stabilized that whole part of the foot. Yeah. And third, fourth, and fifth MTPJs are not doing a lot of work in that foot anyway. Yeah. But that, that one there, B, yeah. uh, that one I wonder about if that patient's doing as well as that surgeon had hoped. So as far as your treatment options, I know from my end, I like to do the microdrilling if it's very early on. Mm-hmm. I like to do the wiles. And then I like to do the hemi implants. Those are my three go-tos, depending on how far along it is and yeah. what I see on the x-rays. No arguments with, with any of that logic. I think yeah. those all make sense. And they've got, there's enough history behind them. These hemi implants have been put in, oh, the yeah. base hemis have been put in for 60 years. Yeah. I mean, they're largely unchanged over the last 60 years. They've changed the stem slightly to make it yeah. more, to have the bone grab it a little better. But, you know, largely... There are people walking around who've had those in their feet for 60, 60 plus years yeah. now. So it's, I tell patients there's no plastic component to these implants. They're never going to wear out. Yeah. I've only had one that fractured through bone that I had to replace. And mm. I, I don't know, I've put in hundreds of these over the years. Yeah. So the I think the likelihood of causing problems is very low. And eliminating painful motion is the goal. And they do that perfectly. Yeah. So recovery for these, depending on what you do, you know, your boots, your offloading depending on your problem you can talk to your doc they'll tell you their protocol you could theoretically just get away with a post-op shoe yeah honestly i'd have them do the range of motions like literally that first week yeah Yeah. i have them going three four days down the line boom yeah get them moving it yeah and they're like wow i can move it it doesn't hurt this is awesome yep but yeah i mean all in all that's pretty much it for freiburg's freiburg's disease it's out there it is a source of forefoot pain Commonly associated with the second metatarsal phalangeal joint. And uh, that was a great a quick rundown of Freiburg's and also some of the options that we have access to in, in 2021. Yeah. Awesome. Very good. Thanks, Dr. Hussein. We will see you guys next time on The Pod Doctors. Thank you for listening to The Pod Doctors. We appreciate all of our listeners and subscribers. If you'd like to hear more, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and watch our videos on YouTube. Like, thumbs up, subscribe, be safe.
See you all next time. Bye-bye.